Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us again on the podcast. Tonight is episode 37, and we have Jordan Gray of the Turtle Survival Alliance and social media fame. Uh, many of you probably have gotten to know him through Instagram and or Facebook. Um, and as always, we've got uh, Anthony and myself, Steve, uh, here with you tonight. Our big topic tonight is we're actually going to talk mostly about um, the – TSA conference that's coming up in August. It's uh, basically a month away. And uh, real quick, if you haven't registered and want to, the early bird rate ends at midnight tonight. But so we're going to talk about what the conference is and why private keepers should be interested in something that's more focused on conservation than private husbandry. So thanks again for joining us. Right. Thank you guys for having me. Um, I apologize to everyone out there in TV land if all of a sudden I start coughing and possibly end up on the floor in convulsions. I've been sick all weekend and uh, have an acute sinus infection, which should tell everybody, don't go snorkeling, it's dangerous. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we are, we're going to have a, a lengthy discussion about why the private keeper should come to a Turtle Survival Alliance conference. Um, you know, Steve and I have talked a lot about this at length, and I've talked to some other people, uh, big wig in the turtle conservation community, and I'm glad we're going to be able to bring Anthony in on this. Uh, typically, when I talk to Anthony, I talk about his 2004 uh, World Cup of Basketball run in which he missed the final shot, uh, much like in the movie Finding Forrester. Uh, but I guess we can talk about it another night. <laughs> That's terrific. That's terrific. Thank you. 2004, isn't that the year that uh, USA lost to Argentina, I think? Uh, that's correct. So it, it seems like my story has some traction. Right. Anthony does know his basketball history. I wouldn't have played, I wouldn't have played uh, for the U.S., though. I, I think I look much more like a European-born player. Oh, yeah, you're lying. No, like a Jonas Valachunas, like that, mm, that yes, type of thing. Jonas Valachunas. Who could, who could hit a mean hook shot with both hands and also flip over your Volkswagen? No, I don't believe Jonas. Yeah, I can't. Uh, but Jonas can. I can't, but he can't. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> so, um, all right. So let's talk a bit, little bit about the TSA conference. So every year we have a conference or a symposium. Uh, this year is the 15th annual symposium on the conservation and biology of tortoises and freshwater turtles. Um, that extended name is unfortunately to exclude the sea turtles. They get their own symposium every February and um, uh, we still love our sea turtles but um, we have to face the fact that the Turtle Survival Alliance and the uh, IUCN uh, Tortoise and Freshwater Turtle Specialist Group uh, does focus on the about 433 other taxa of colonians uh, around the world. Um, so either way, every August we get a big group of people and it's, a, it's an amazing mix match of uh, husbandry practitioners, of field researchers, of laboratory researchers, of uh, tried and true conservationists. Um, we get uh, we get people from um, NGOs, uh, you know, stakeholders, 
who are interested in uh, turtle and tortoise conservation and how to make it work. Um, <clears throat> so really everybody comes together as a, a big community. Um, and that's what I, I love about it so much is that when you get there, like I'm saying, you, the, you might see a face like uh, Steve Enders from the Turtle Room. And, you know, Steve is heavily involved with uh, um, the, the captive husbandry side of it and uh, promoting uh, colonial conservation through captive husbandry. But also um, you, you might see uh, somebody else there like Miss uh, Gibbons, you know, one of my heroes, child, who uh, dedicated his life uh, to colonial conservation, as well as uh, the conservation of other animals in the southeast United States. So, um, and that's, you're talking about just in the first few minutes, you're seeing somebody from this part of the uh, 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 world, this part of the world, this part of the world. And uh, it's a really great experience to be able to bring these people together. Right, right, absolutely. Well, I think that's know, the one thing that, that it offers that, that others don't. See, please. Oh, that's okay. You know, you mentioned, um, <clears throat> with, you know, getting to meet Whit Gibbons, you know, a childhood hero. And like, I remember uh, when our, our friend Curtis, you know, came to the, the Tucson conference, he got to meet John Iverson, who's done a lot of work with mud turtles. And, you know, for Curtis, that was like a, a big lifetime, you know, moment to get to meet a guy like John Iverson and right. get to, you know, take a picture with him and have conversations with him about, you know, about those species that he is so passionate about. And so that's like one of those like great cool things that, that can happen at a conference like this is right. when you get the private keepers and, the, you know, and these conservation personalities together, you can get these really neat conversations and moments that happen that really help both sides learn and, and gain understanding uh, about these animals. Right. I mean, you get amazing conversations, uh, especially when they're started by my good friend and, uh, uh, distant cousin John Green out there in uh, Southern California. <laughs> now, John Green, when he starts a conversation, uh, you better know it and you better be ready for it. Um, but it, it, it is really cool because, like, you know, just to use him as an example, you know, John's known in the uh, herpetoculture community, uh, especially with uh, Kelonians. And, um, but to see somebody like that, uh, who really believes in uh, conservation as well and wants to see these animals that he loves so much uh, still have a place in the wild. You know, to see like John Green like mix it up with uh, 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 Jeffrey Lovich, uh, for instance. Uh, I remember that last meeting. I mean, you're, you're taking two totally different worlds, but both with the same passion and love for this animal and being able to bring them together and they can learn from each other because that's the whole thing is all this is still it's still learning you know for the academics there's a lot of learning to do about the whole hobby and, and husbandry side of it because let's face it um Kelonians are wrapped up in herpetoculture and uh you know people throughout the world own them i believe they are the most common uh, reptilian pet uh, throughout the world and that is something that conservationists have to understand and the best way to understand that whether you're, like I said you're an academic or a field conservationist or whatever is to you make bonds you make friendships uh, and you really get to learn what the other side is about I guarantee you this 
if uh, let's just say I'm talking to John or I'm talking to Steve or I'm talking to Anthony or, or anybody and I say, you know, we, we're, we're doing this really, really cool project with North American wood turtles. Or Steve or John's like, man, I really love North American wood turtles. I work with them in captivity because out here in Southern California or uh, now luckily for Anthony and Steve, they have wood turtles native to their states. But, you know, j just as an example, you could put any turtle there. I, I work with these in captivity, but man, I love this turtle so much. How can I help it uh, still prosper in the wild? Um, or, you know, how can I help those who do help it prosper? So uh, it, it's, again, just a really neat way to connect those people. That's terrific. <clears throat> Steve, you had something? Uh, you know, no, I was just taking a nice deep breath. Oh, oh, just taking a nice deep breath. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's good. That's good. One of those days oh. where I've got to catch my breath. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Steve's been working really hard. He's got a lot of important oh. things going on. We'll tell you probably on the next podcast. But, uh, yeah, I, we hope. I, the question I had was, uh, and, and I obviously want to do this in a way that's respectful. Um, I've been to the TTPG conference. I really, um, I really have enjoyed it and it, the, the, the approach there and the emphasis is on um, captive breeding. So there are, there are folks who are, um, who are husbandry specialists. They're big into the herpeticulture, like you said, um, kind of the hobby of keeping animals. And they try to get involved in the conservation side. Uh, but maybe they feel a little more in their comfort zone going to just hang out with a whole conference full of people who um, kind of share the same views as them. Um, can you speak a little bit to the importance of stepping out of your comfort zone if you're one of those people that are maybe on the fence um, for both sides? Because you're talking about these different sides coming together. And surely someone who who just works with animals in the wild and has maybe a thought that animals shouldn't be in captivity or the opposite who thinks all animals should be kept in captivity until, you know, the chances of the world changing or whatever. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, that's a really great thing to bring up. You know, there's, when we talk a lot about conservation, um, you not only talked about uh, logistics and, uh, you know, uh, practicability, but you also have to take in, you know, people's philosophic views on it. Um, there's so many different components of co uh, conservation and uh, you have to look at a multi-pronged approach. So, okay, so let's talk, yeah, like you're saying, let's talk about people stepping out of their comfort zone. Uh, you know, let's say I, you know, I, I work mostly with Kelonians, but I, there's also a lot of other uh, rep reptile and amphibian uh, herpetofaunal species that I'm uh, really uh, interested in. Uh, if I go to a symposium and it's, uh, let's just say it's the um, uh, the Herps and Icks um, uh, symposium, my first thing I'm going to do is probably gravitate to people I know from the uh, Kelonian conservation uh, and husbandry and zoo and all that uh, world. Um, but there's still a lot I want to learn. You know, you're always going to have that. It's like going to, uh, you know, your first day of high school and you see the people you know. But what always happens from there? You know, you you start, you make one conversation with somebody, maybe in a class, and then you sit with them at their table during lunch. 
And then you make another, con you know, conversation. They're like, hey, you want to hang out with us after school and see what we do? You know, it's really no different. And uh, think about how much, you know, uh, effort you want to put into it. Because, you know, there, there's, so, there's so many ways that people can go. Like, you think about what you're doing, you know, like, each of us can only do so much in a day. And especially people like me who need our grandpa naps in our day, we probably do a little bit less. Um, but, um, but yeah, there's only so much you can do. But the chance to meet other people and have them say, you know, why don't you come and, and, and start this, uh, you know, maybe start a project with us. And, and so that brings me uh, to a good point with the Turtle Room. Um, you know, uh, I'm in the... Turtle Survival Alliance's North American Freshwater Turtle Research Group, and um, and along with uh, Director Eric Muncher, uh, Eric and uh, Eric doesn't come from a uh, her, uh, herpetoculture background at all. Uh, he he's um, you know not speaking bad about Eric, but he is a tried and true uh, field researcher. Um, and, uh, and so the, the breeding, the husbandry, all that into colonians isn't something that's part of his background. But, you know, he and Steve Enders, uh, you're Steve Enders, by the way, Steve, in case you forgot that. They're both from Pennsylvania, and they both have this passion for turtles. So they got a conversation started in Tucson about how can we start a project in Pennsylvania that, uh, creates a collaboration between the Turtle Survival Alliance's NAFDERG uh, and the Turtle Room and focuses on one of the most beluggered species in the Northeast United States, and that's the uh, wood turtle, Galiptemis and Sculpta. And, um, and that was, I mean, so from there, you know, uh, uh, NAFDERG and Turtle Room have already collaborated to, to do surveys. Um, We've had new people who want to join in and, and help out with these surveys. And if you already look at the people who are involved, it is such a mix. I mean, you got people who uh, work for um, uh, uh, conservation organizations. You have uh, people who, uh, you know, by day are school teachers. Uh, or uh, uh, you, have, you have people uh, who work for state agencies. Uh, you have people who work for um, uh, consulting firms. So already, you already have all these people from bring different life experiences to help this one turtle. So uh, I know this is a long-winded answer, uh, but if you, uh, you know, let's just think about the, the common hobbyist, the common herpetoculturist who is breeding colonians. Um, one of the things that gets brought up a lot is, well, how can we give back? You know, we go to these conferences, say you come to the conference, you know, you meet everybody from the Turtle Survival Alliance and you meet these different stakeholders uh, in uh, colonial conservation. Well, how can we give back? You know, one of the, one of the big things you always hear from uh, herpetoculturists and naturally so is we love these turtles. Uh, there's these areas where, you know, uh, maybe the founding animals of this colony once came from there, once harvested from there, but now that state closed the harvest for those turtles. 
and we would love to help repatriate the turtles. Um, this that 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 becomes a very sticky subject. It's true. Um, you know, in a in a perfect world, you know, we'd be able to uh, just say, yeah, we're going to repatriate areas with spotted turtles. We're going to repatriate areas with box turtles. Um, but it's it's not you know unfortunately so much um, being able to do repatriation efforts. Not only uh, is it not always that easy and should be uh, discussed on a species by species basis, um, but also you know, going by the different states' laws and the and the regulations by the state agencies, it is something that we're not really at the point of yet. Right. However, that doesn't mean that we can't get there in the future. You know, the thing is, let's say somebody in herpetoculture, uh, they, they want, they say, well, they, they have a good argument. They can say, well, here's a reason why we can use these animals, uh, you know, for a blank, blank, blank reason to repatriate. Uh, now, I'm personally not saying whether it's right or wrong. I'm just giving a hypothetical. You know, you come to a, a, a gathering of all these stakeholders, and then you're able to express your ideas, and you're able to get real-time feedback into, okay, maybe that's a good idea, or, well, we actually already have experience there, and here's some reasons why it won't work. Oh, it won't work? Well, let's talk more. How can we make it work? Um, there's all these conversations and avenues that people can get to at a symposium, uh, like this where people are brought because there's nothing better than bringing people face to face you know on like on the internet on the the faces book and on Instagram or uh, the podcast or whatever we can only learn so much about each other and you can also only uh, get so much information it's easy to come up with preconceived notions of individuals and who they are just by their social media presence or profile and that's why these type of conferences because they bring people face to face so if somebody let's just say 30 years from now uh says you know what we really need to repatriate this species well guess what we talked to blank and blank who has a you know a colony from uh who uh you know uh Whoever knows where and they established in this year, and we could use those animals to help repatriate. Uh, it's really just doing a lot of forward thinking uh, and, and being able to um, isolate the issues, work on them, and then establish protocols for the future. And there's probably, with a lot of species, there's probably not a huge chance. You never know, though, like you said, um, who knows what will happen a few decades down the line. But um, there are a lot of species that are kept, and, and people will use them as a uh, an argument for conservation. I'm keeping this because it's a rare animal. I'd love it for there to be more rare animals in the world. But um, if you don't know the locality or the genetic purity of an animal, it could be really difficult. A lot of times we're making... Uh, animals of you know a muddy gene pool or, or mutts, uh, mutts so to speak, where where the animals are of uncertain genetic um, uh, genetics, and, and we're not sure where they really fit in. So would we be you know repatriating the wild with with a population of animals? Um, so it's really important, and that's a challenge to 
And again, this is getting out of your comfort zone. So for for captive um, breeders and and people who are trying to breed these animals in captivity, um, you know that's that's a challenge and something that's not comfortable, but it's the reality. Um, right. So um, you were talking also about how you're getting some some kind of constructive criticism a lot of times when you're when you're presenting at these conferences. I think that's absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah, it might feel good to go and do a presentation and have everybody giving you high fives and, and uh, slapping you on the buns when you walk off stage. But if you... I would slap your buns, Anthony. I, and I would definitely slap yours. Everyone knows how I feel about you, Jordan. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not hitting on you, but I'm as close as I can be without actually hitting on you. So, yeah, I, I think, you know... Um, when you're in a room with the absolute best, the one, the one thing that Jordan actually hasn't mentioned yet, and this is this is not constructive criticism of, of you, Jordan, at all. Ready, but ready for you. These are the these are the biggest names from around the world, not the United. I mean, not the United States, the world. So when when you read the the most important paper on a species that is important to you, you know, when you when you really really want to research a species, you're not reading what Reptiles Magazine has on them. No offense uh, to Russell Case. Um, but you're reading the, you know, the, the peer reviewed journal that has four names on it that, uh, says everything you need to know on that species. And guess what? The names on those, um, journals, they're the people who are at the conference and they're the ones sitting in the crowd when you're talking about the captive propagation of that species. So, um, when would it ever be better to get constructive criticism than from the people who know that species best? have a little bit of skin in the game and don't want to see someone just going up there and flippantly throwing uh, ideas out about a species that they've studied in the wild or have, you know, known about for decades and decades. So you're never going to get that the way that you will at, at the TSA conference. And that's why I think um, it's so important. Oh, absolutely. Um, the, uh, <sighs> The other thing about the, you know, when you have these multi-day conferences that are in a single location, you know, everybody books their hotel rooms. By the way, book your hotel room. Get it now because they are almost gone. Um, you know, when, uh, when people stay, it gives the opportunity to just have dinner with somebody. Uh, you know, I, I remember my first TSA conferences and uh, and yeah, you see these figures who you're like, wait a minute, that's the guy who wrote the book that I learned mm. turtles about when I was a kid. Mm. And you walk up to them and say, hey, you know, I really, your work meant so much to me. And you can talk to that person right there and they respond. And, and you'd be amazed how often they then engage in meaningful conversation with you. Um, mm. Well, they're also gracious and 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 uh, humble for the most part. Uh, almost almost everyone there to a name, and it's it really is a great atmosphere for engaging in in networking and and learning through personal communication with these people who you never otherwise might even get a chance to, to talk with. And I don't know, but for me, attending my first conference, you know, kind of lit an even bigger fire in you know, my conservation minded side, which I think that you can experience by attending one of these conferences because you really get to kind of see how things can work together and how, how, uh, you know, captive breeding plus 
um, you know, lab-based research and, and wild-based research all kind of work together to really provide the best outcomes. Right. And, uh, and the interesting thing about the, you know, the captive husbandry side of it is that, um, you know, it is always evolving. You know, the, the learning process is never done because, you know, people might have this much success and then all of a sudden they hit a, basically they hit a year where they stop having success. And then maybe there's another year that they stop having success. And it's like, what's, you know, what's causing that? Well, luckily, you're again, you're bringing together people from various backgrounds who can provide, uh, you know, good hypotheses of why that is happening. Um, like, yeah, let's just say somebody builds uh, an incredible closure for um, uh, the big headed turtle. And, uh, you know, they're having fairly good luck with them, but based on all the research they had done and talking to other people, they're not having the greatest luck. You know, at a symposium like this, let's just say that you are able to actually talk with maybe one of the primary researchers of this species, and they might be able to say, well, tell me about your habitat. And you tell them all the specifics, and then they say something like, well, what's interesting is, although you have almost everything correct and it all sounds good, uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, species from this area where your uh, animals are originally from uh, actually spend this much amount of time uh, in, a, uh, in, in water that's actually about two degrees Celsius less than you're keeping them at. Um, or they spend this much more time in a fossorial state or something like that. And it can make people go, oh, wow, you know, this is information that I may not have gotten from, you know, looking, looking in any book or talking to somebody else. Um, and it is a great way to be able to bring people together. Now, on the flip side, you know, people who are out there in the field um, or, you know, on the front lines doing conservation work, they get to experience a lot. But what some don't always ex get to experience is the captive hus husbandry side. And when you're, you know, when you're out in the field, um, you might be on a trek for days and maybe find one of the species you're looking for. You know, some of the some of the species, especially in Southeast Asia now, are so rare that you are lucky if you find one uh, in a week, in a month. Um, some are so rare, you're lucky if you find one in the whole year. Um, but there might be people who uh, have this turtle because for, for whatever reason, you know, years ago, they were brought into captivity and they have a sustain, you know, they have sustained a group of these individuals and those, those captive husbandry practitioners can actually give information to the researcher that the researchers might not actually able to get because of their lack of finding turtles. Um, and maybe that information could lead to a better understanding of the turtles that they're trying to find. You know, uh, people who, um, who practice captive husbandry, they're around their turtles 24-7, but pretty darn close to it. Uh, especially if people who don't go to, you know, don't go to work, 
um, you know, off-site, maybe they work from home. And there's a lot of little just uh, nuances in the uh, in the turtle or tortoise um, uh, biology and uh, and uh, things that uh, you know basically make that turtle or tortoise that could be very beneficial that the captive husbandry practitioners being able to pick up on that the academic or the field researcher or the conservationist uh, might not exactly know, and so that is something. Uh, captive breeding or the captive husbandry practitioners, whether it be private or whether it be zoos uh, or aquariums, uh, brings to the conference, brings in the conversation. Uh, you know, I have a, I actually have a question, a follow-up question for Steve of all people. Um, <laughs> Jordan, Jordan mentioned the 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 big-headed turtle, um, and uh, it's a species that we talked about here before, but. Um, I can think of three important players, and Steve. So Steve, you have to understand, Steve is like with the TSA conference is like, and I mean this with respect. He knows I'm, I mess with him all the time. He's like a, you know, eleven-year-old girl at a um, at a One Direction concert. He gets really excited about who maybe he'll get to see, and maybe he'll get an autograph and, and a handshake or a high five, that sort of thing. I don't do autographs. You light up my world like nobody else. <laughs> oh, he hasn't been the same since they broke up. But seriously, um, yeah. But so we're talking. Of, so I'm going to ask him because he actually keeps a really good mental record of who goes and all that type of stuff. So we're talking about the Chinese, the Chinese big headed turtle, and um, there are three really big players in the United States that I'm aware of, and I'm not an expert on the species. But you have our friend Mark Wallace, who is the best. Um, <laughs> probably the best producer of them and um, does so as a, a private hobbyist. Um, then there's the Prospect Zoo in, in Brooklyn, who we've spoken about before as well. And then there is the TSA's Turtle Survival Center in South Carolina. Um, Steve, those three players, um, have they been to the conference in the past couple of years? Uh, the two non-private keeper ones have been. So Mark hasn't been able to make it out? No, Mark has not appeared at a conference. Oh, I thought he was because he's always doing nope. the design and everything. So I thought I was onto something, and I thought that he had been there. But no, nope. either way, him, but so he did not two, come. He couldn't go because we wanted him to do the because Steve chairs the captive husbandry portion of the um, talk, so he knows very well whether or not Mark was able to go. I'm sorry, Mark. I didn't mean to call you out on here, um, but <clears throat> but there you go. Oh, I got to make sure Mark comes this year. Yeah, now 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 there's pressure. So maybe that was a good thing. I just bought his plane ticket as we speak. Yeah, actually, South Carolina, he might be able to drive. Oh, okay, yeah. So there you go. So now there's a good chance that he'll be here, be there this year. But but the point is that there are important players. If that's your species, then there's no excuse not to go. Um, if you can, if you have the means to to make it happen, and and it's like that with a lot of species. I mean, if there's um, if there's something that you're really into, and um, you know, then there's an opportunity for you to benefit on a way that you probably never even knew possible. Yeah, you know, I've been trying to get the guy who wrote the book on Spanglary out to the conference, but it's just been a little tough. Man, who? Yeah, who is that guy? <laughs> like he's all playing basketball or something. I never heard of him. He sounds handsome, though. Whoever he is. <laughs> yeah, he's basically the Antonio Banderas of Spanglary. Right. If yeah, I'm the. If he was a little shorter and more Latin. <laughs> 
I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. I'm trying to go. I'm sorry. They're talking about me, anyone who doesn't know. Um, I yeah. really wanted Anthony to uh, talk in my session this year. Uh, most likely he's not going to be able to, which makes me a sad panda. Um, but, sad pandas uh, are cute, however. Very cute. Uh, pandas are just cute in general. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Anthony's working on this really amazing project, and hopefully next year uh, we'll be able to have Anthony come and talk. Um, something actually uh, that I do want to talk about is um, about, again, why, why the five obvious should come to this conference is that, um, you know, there's a lot of different words that get thrown out there, and some are thrown out there as synonyms when they're not exactly synonyms. Um, you know, there's so many parts to conservation. Like research, for instance, is a part of conservation. It can be, but it's not conservation. Um, what, you know, the, the work that stems from that research can be conservation. Um, captive breeding is not necessarily conservation. Uh, is it preservation? Uh, yes, you are preserving that animal in a state, uh, a live state here in the world. Um, is, uh, you know, but all these things can build to the goal conservation the thing the main thing is understanding where your piece fits in the puzzle um, if somebody is captive breeding and in their mind you know they're captive breeding you know just let's just say tons of uh, geoclemmies Hamiltonii the uh, Indian spotted palm turtle um, you know let's just say they're producing lots of them and it's <laughs> Let's just say, yeah. Let's just say. In Florida uh, or somewhere, yeah, let's just say. Who knows, yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, they see it as a preservation or a conservation act. Well, the main thing to, uh, that why a, a symposium like this is so important is, is being able to chat and say, you know, again, like Anthony was saying, constructive criticism, you know, is the work that you're doing something that actually, like, could fit in somewhere in the future to a conservation program or is it currently under the guise mm. of preservation and conservation when in fact it might not be able to realistically fit in it's my favorite phrase and and to i i, I hate to interject because i love what you're saying but oh, go ahead, that's something that means so much to, to to steve and myself and something when we were having our first talks when we were just buddies on you know on a, a web-based forum, just talking about our ideas, uh, you know, back in the days, and and you know, where do we fit in? We're trying to find our niche, um, and and it was difficult for us at first. Like, you know, we're not biologists, we're not researchers, we're not conservationists, we're not, and but you know, well, what can we do? We felt like a little inadequate, but at the same time, like we're college educated, we're smart, we have a way with people. Um, and myself as a social worker, Steve as a teacher, um, we try to do it as best we can through people. And that's why the podcast exists. And um, just the other day, uh, last Thursday, actually, I was able to attend uh, an event and be a part of an event at a camp where there were 600 
campers, 600 kids, and we were able to educate those kids about common snapping turtles, a species that up until very recently here in Connecticut was commercially commercially harvested, and people would actually come from other northeastern states to come and take our snapping turtles and then ship them overseas because there were no limits. So I mean, look at that picture. I mean that that oh, is wow. that is amazing. I mean, when you can actually get That's out. Awesome. And touch that many people about turtles and tortoises then then you're really doing something it took a while like all i wanted to do was move to florida and be a turtle tortoise breeder i wanted to have a sulcata farm boy is that something i don't want to do now um and and those feelings of inadequacy like you know well i'm just a social worker like i'm not as important as as jordan gray i'm not as important as all these other folks so i think you know my 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 message to everyone is yes, you like to keep animals, but then why are you keeping them? Because, because conservation, like you just said, is a small piece of it because that's like best case scenario. There's a really good chance that a lot of people out there who have a thousand animals at their house, none of those animals will ever go to true conservation, ever be returned to the wild. So what are you doing it for if you're not trying to educate, share information, and get other people involved and passionate about the animals that, that you're passionate about? Um, and then also understanding, like I said earlier, that, that everything you do has to be really focused. Otherwise, it's a waste of your time. And this is something that is really matters to me a lot. I think um, because of our, our fear of getting out of our comfort zone, sometimes we don't challenge ourselves enough. And I'm talking about the captive, captive breeders out there as well. Like we don't challenge ourselves enough to, to – and you use the phrase from the Dave Lee article, the guise of conservation – like we have to really be real with ourselves and look at every single angle and really listen to the people have, who have a different view than ours because they might be right, unfortunately. So how do we make sure we're keeping the right animals for the right reasons and the right way? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, Anthony. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the, one of the difficult things to realize, you know, like we've talked about is that there are some species who, um very well are already functionally extinct in the wild um or others that are heading that way um and right now we're not in a position uh in, in every scenario to uh to be able to bring back that turtle's numbers in situ you know um the fact of the matter is, is that the uh, the Kelonian trade, um, the uh, the uh, buying and selling of turtles and tortoises, whether it's uh, captive bred or wild caught, is is a huge industry, and um, we first have to really get a hold of exactly where the industry is going, and, and a lot of that has to do with. Uh, personal responsibility um, because you know like we're talking about you know people uh, you know I, we've heard different things about you know terms like flooding the market oh I want to produce this many of this species and I'm gonna flood the market um, and uh, which will hopefully help drive the price down of this species and make them poached less in the wild well that might work for some things, but you know, uh, for others, the demand is so high that even just that idea of flooding the market is not satiating 
um, uh, the the hungry appetite for that turtle. And I use, of course, use the term hungry appetite um, as a play on words. But um, but either way, you know, in some of these areas, like let's look in Southeast China, where the where the population is just ever expanding. I mean, anywhere you go, the, the population is increasing really in the world. Yeah, sure, you might have some county or some state who's seen a decrease, but you know, whatever, we're not talking about that. We're talking about it as a whole. Um, the fact of the matter is the price on some of these turtles is still too high and the demand for them too great that all the captive breeding efforts that we do right now um, might not uh, make a great impact for them in the wild right now. Mm -hmm. um, and that again goes into what Anthony's talking about as having, you know, a, a focus on where you're going and what you're doing. Um, because there, like in the future, these turtles and tortoises can be preserved. You know, there are ways to do it. They, they can be preserved in the wild. Uh, populations might even be able to be uh, 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 rebound in the wild, but it's going to take the proper framework and the proper players and the proper players doing their respective jobs to the best of their ability to get there. Right. You know, we might not be able to uh, make the numbers of, uh, you know, Quora, uh, um, uh, let's just say Aro Capitata uh, explode in the wild in the next several years. You know, um, they, uh, you know, it's a, it's a species that have been heavily imp impacted by um, uh, commercial trade, whether it be for traditional medicine, food, or pets. Um, and, uh, and, um, uh, I wanted to show you one, Jordan. It's, it's, this is a quang tongue. You were talking about, uh, you're, you're talking about animals that are, that are, um, functionally extinct in the wild. Yeah. Um, aren't really found much anymore. So this is, this is one such animal, um, that's bred very easily in, Captivity and um, as recently as a few months ago, uh, the Asian market decided they were, they should be very valuable, and the price jumped up um, like wild. And um, yeah, I mean it's and it's one of those species as well where um, it's been really tough to keep like a stud book on them. But um, you know, captive breeding is happening, and there definitely hasn't been any conservation through captive breeding, even though it's been really successful. But here they are being preserved at least for the time being. So I, right. wanted to, I wanted to throw that at you while I had one sitting right next to me. Okay. Uh, yeah, so that goes into the, the preservation of the species. Um, and, uh, and so yeah, so trying to, trying to go back, I, I just started, again, I've been sick, so I, I had a cough that I was trying to suppress. But the, um, the, the idea that we want to strive for is that species who have seen their numbers greatly depleted in the wild, we want to strive to have those species in the wild, you know, still in 40, 50, 100, 1,000 years. But the only way to do it is for the people who care about them, and whether it's caring about them through captive breeding, through conservation, through outreach, through... Um, through research is 
talk to each other um, and and be able to establish goals together. Um, because if if this 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 and this don't happen, then let's just say again hypothetically these turtles who could potentially go back in the wild for repatriation. Um, if, if all this framework hasn't been set up to protect the habitat, to change the uh, to, to change the culture of the people who would go and collect these turtles, to change the um, um, uh, uh, make a change in the uh, let's just say uh, income of the area. And I know, like uh, our friend Scott Tregresser uh, over in uh, Bangladesh and Myanmar. Is uh, is helping institute those kind of things through the Creative Conservation Alliance, where they're, you know, um, helping places plant uh, crops um, that will hopefully help them focus on another way to make money than collecting turtles. But if all these things don't happen, then that goal of releasing turtles to repatriate an area is right. just completely out of, you know, it's it's out of the question right uh, yeah yeah the chance of the world changing we've talked about that that film before the documentary that's actually extremely sad and even morbid um for for the animals involved just you're trying tooth and nail um throwing everything you have into conservation through whatever means and really, we're just waiting for the world to change, at least in certain places. I know with some of the Asian species, maybe there's been some protected areas where animals, you know, we at least got close enough to to try as like a pilot program to release some animals and see how things went. Um, that's at least a, a sign that things maybe are changing for the better in certain areas. Um, but yeah, that's what, that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the world to just to become a better place, at least in some areas. Um, yeah. Um. Well, here's here's I'll actually bring up an example that uh, of uh, of an amazing rebound that happened because a culture changed, um, and it also had to do a little bit with some uh, uh, some policy, uh, some legislation. Uh, most people around the world are familiar with the diamondback terrapin uh, here in the United States. Um, they're a turtle. I don't think any turtle species in the United States has as many conservation activities dedicated towards uh, one species as diamondback terrapin. You go all along the coast throughout the range, Massachusetts, Texas, and you can find coastal diamondback terrapin uh, projects. Um, you know, when I was thinking about my session for the uh, TSA symposium, I was like, man. I got to try to think of things other than Dimeback Terrapin projects because the first thing that pops into my mind for community outreach and conservation is Dimeback Terrapins. But the change and the rebound happened long before a lot of these projects. So, you know, the Dimeback Terrapin was a very persecuted turtle and persecuted in the, in the form of uh, uh, commercialization for the food markets. And it was it was heavily harvested throughout its range. You know, um, there is, I don't know if uh, y'all know this, but uh, there is actually a revolt. Um, slaves in Southern Virginia revolted. Uh, they refused to work anymore 
if they didn't stop being fed so much diamondback terrapin. <laughs> There, there's a quote in in Pope's book. We talked about you know people's books and, and how much they meant on on like you know the those of us who have come up and Clifford Pope's book with, that was like the Bible of turtles for decades. One of the first lines in the book is turtles are much are well are are much more well known in their liquid form, something along those lines. <laughs> And that's and that's it. Like most yeah. most of us know turtles in their liquid form. And that was in the nineteen, the late nineteen thirties. I believe yeah. it, was, it was either nineteen thirty seven or nineteen thirty nine that that book was published. And it gives you kind of an idea of of what how turtles were known, especially yeah. the diamondback terrapins. Oh yeah, terrapins. They they were for eating. Okay, that is what that <laughs> turtle was there for. Um, it was collected. I mean, uh, it is still collected, uh, harvested in a couple states for uh, food or uh, for the commercial pet trade. But for the most part throughout its range, uh, you know, the commercializ commercialization of the turtle has ended. So uh, in the early 1900s, uh, after the Terrapins had hit their heyday, um, you know, the popularity of the, of, of the turtle stew started to decline. Uh, now a big part of this uh, is, uh, you know, uh, anecdotes, relate to prohibition um, because the main ingredient used for Dimeback Terrapin soup, much like she crab stew, is sherry. Wow. And if you, if you weren't using sherry anymore, you weren't making the soup to its proper standard. Therefore, no longer was it worth the price that the Dimeback Terrapins were commanding by then. I didn't now, know that. That's so interesting. Yeah. Now you also get to the, you also, in some areas, the Dimeback Terrapins were just so heavily harvested, the price of them started to skyrocket. So all of a sudden, Dimeback Terrapins, they weren't found on food menus any, anymore. Uh, they weren't, and then when that happened, uh, they weren't really uh, viewed that much as a major uh, market anymore. And what happened? Time went on. People focused on their she crab stew or whatever. Um, and uh, and then communities really started to pop up on the coast. Well, Dimeback Terrapins started to rebound heavily. I mean, if you go to places in the Delaware Bay, southern New Jersey, we're actually right outside New York City, um, there are Dimeback Terrapin populations that would blow your mind. I mean, I've been there and seen uh, turtles. It's like a uh, – it's a uh, – it's a heavenly experience being able to see that many Dimeback Terrapins in one place. And you never would have even pictured that that could have ever, ever been possible after their commercialization during their heyday. But the fact is, is that things have changed. And instead now, what you see throughout the Dimeback Terrapins range is people who want to help them. I mean, people care about this turtle. So whether it's through some small thing like, uh, you know, a, well, excuse me, not small, but uh, a change in the culture through uh, a change in legislation or a change in the culture uh, because no longer is something a fad, um, you know, we can make a big difference for turtles. If we look at the Dimeback Terrapin, that could be the case for other species. Um, we just have to believe it. And we have to figure out what is going to be the major catalyst that will help them rebound. That's um, great. 
<clears throat> yeah, that's good stuff. And, you know, we you talked about a bit about, you know, DBTs during all of that. That's actually a really good segue to this question that we've got from, uh, from one of our viewers. Um, and partly because Diamondback Terrapins are – probably have the highest volume of local, locally-based conservation projects in the U.S., right? Get there, are DBT, there are um, DBTs as a whole probably have the, the highest volume of local-based conservation projects in the U.S. All up and down the, US, the eastern seaboard, there are local conservation projects to save the diamondback terrapin. And so one of our viewers uh, gives us this question, what local conservation efforts in the U.S. can we be a part of? What are good suggestions for young kids to be exposed at in a young age so that they can find fun in learning and conservation they can get excited about? All right. Well, that's actually a really great question. Um, you know, there's this is, again, as pretty much everything I do is a uh, uh, is going to include several different answers. But. Um, number one is, you know, you can look towards the, you know, places like the Turtle Survival Alliance, uh, places like the Turtle Room, um, or, you know, other organizations that, uh, help with turtle conservation. And, you know, the people at those organizations, they love these animals so much that they are thrilled to get other people involved. And so a lot of these organizations, I know we at the Turtle Survival Alliance and I know at the Turtle Room have staff that answer emails or answer uh, Facebook messages, Instagram messages, um, you know, uh, emails uh, that we can easily direct people to the best conservation organization in their area to work with. And because we as a Kelonian conservation um, world, we're, we're a network, and we're a network um, who we talk regularly. Uh, maybe everybody doesn't know everybody personally until they come to the conference. Um, but a lot of, you know, there's, there's pretty much just a one, maybe two degree of separation between everybody in the colonial uh, world. Um, and so we can easily find out how to help people. Now, with the Turtle Survival Alliance, uh, we have the North American Freshwater Turtle Research Group. And if you go to uh, www.turtlesurvival.org, you can go to Get Involved, Volunteer, and then the North American Freshwater Turtle Research Group, or TSA NAFTR. And what TSA NAFTR does is um, uh, long-term population research in some of the most beautiful just idyllic spring systems in the United States. Uh, we currently have programs in Texas, Florida, Tennessee, and Pennsylvania. And uh, we may actually be adding another one in the next couple of years, but I won't tell you just where yet. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but that is one way to get involved. We actually, yes, Sorry. We, we have people uh, fly in from uh, Alaska, California, Washington, Michigan, uh, New England, uh, down to volunteer with us at NAFTRG. And uh, at TSA NAFTRG, it's like a big family. And I know that the guys from the Turtle Room have been out with us in NAFTRG. And it's pretty much one of the best things that you can even be a part of because everybody loves the same thing. Um, 
it's a great way to discuss, you know, new research ideas, or if you're a captive husbandry practitioner, new, new ways to do captive husbandry. Mm -hmm. um, again, picking up on ideas, but uh, I, I think there are so many avenues uh, to being able to find uh, how to get involved and uh, the Turtle Survival Alliance and the Turtle Room is a great first step. Yeah, I think it, there's several factors that you have to ask yourself when you're looking to get involved. It's where you live geographically, um, what you have to offer as far as your skill set, your knowledge base, and it doesn't have to be turtles. If you come in and you're and you have an expert in something, expertise in something that's totally unrelated, <laughs> that sometimes can be the most helpful thing because you have a different statisticians. Yeah, yeah, right. There's so, such a need for statisticians. Exactly, exactly, exactly what I'm talking about. And then, and then also yeah. your means as well for how you know how able you are to to get out and things like that. But it's just like turtles. It's slow and steady. Uh, you know, a lot of us have some years ahead of us, and it takes time. You know, uh, to be able to figure out what your niche is and and what organizations might be right around you. I personally live in Connecticut, and it's taken me so long to get uh, contacts in Connecticut. I have more contacts in California and Florida and Pennsylvania and Texas and all over the place than I do in my own state of Connecticut. And they're here, it's just, you know. Connecticut has some beautiful habitats and beautiful turtles too. Right, right, it's just taking some time. So, um, yeah. Steve, since you're um, talking a you know, bit. Yeah, Anthony makes a you know, great point here um, <laughs> on, uh, you know, that your skills don't necessarily have to be with turtles. And yeah, if you're a TSA member and you're willing to come out and learn and just do what you can, you can show up at an AFTURG site as a TSA member. I mean, we'll vet you a little bit beforehand, you know, to make sure you're not going to come in and like, you know, steal animals away and stuff like that. And I'm sure you can all understand that that's going to be... Yeah, you anybody know, who deals animals has to deal with Anthony uh, all of a sudden behind them when they turn around. Precisely. Like six feet <laughs> of pure power. Oh. Right. But the outreach part is something that various <laughs> skills can be very beneficial to. Like here at the Turtle Room, if you like writing and researching, we could give you something to do that would benefit outreach and, and ed, you know, the education piece of this big conservation puzzle. Um, if you're good at graphic design and you know your way around Adobe Illustrator and all those things, I guarantee you Jordan and I can find work where you could contribute to things that that he and I are trying to put together in various different areas. If you um, uh, if you can take pictures and you're willing to travel. Oh my gosh! Yes, if you can take clear pictures. <laughs> if you can take good quality pictures and are willing to travel. Uh, granted, you have to you know spend some of your own money to travel because we can't pay to help you do that. But if you are capable of doing that. You could take pictures for the turtle room, go take pictures for the TSA, yeah, for both, whatever. Like, we can find ways you can help pass our message on. Right. If you can, uh, <coughs> I'm, I'm, I mean, there, there are endless things. Literally, just tell us what you love to do, and we can probably find a way where you might be able to use that thing to help turtles, even if you aren't necessarily able to go down to Florida and help, help NAFTURG. Or it, you live in Minnesota, and there are very few, um, you know, conservation projects you can get in or whatever. But if you look hard enough, you might find them in Minnesota too. I don't really know. Um, just picking that out because it's kind of a state in the middle of, you know, the country that might be hard to do stuff like that with. Um, 
if you're on the East Coast, within an hour or two of the coast, I bet we can find you a Diamondback Terrapin program where if you get a background check done or whatever, you'd probably be able to find a way to volunteer. I mean, Jordan helps run one of those in Savannah, Georgia, for instance. Um, we're starting to, the Turtle Room is starting to participate uh, in a, you know, and our own Chris Leone is, you know, helping to coordinate a program in New Jersey as well. So there are like almost endless types of opportunities if you look for them and if you ask the questions. If you don't know where to look, that's when you can email Jordan, email me, Anthony, and we can try to help you find a niche that you can really make a difference in. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. What was I going to say? Um, something, uh, something that's big on that is, you know, the, the outreach um, because – you know, it's it's like that whole thing that uh, you know people. I don't know the uh, I don't know the exact quote right now. I'm having like a George Bush moment, but but like uh, <laughs> okay, if you misremember the quote, we're okay with that. Right? Yeah, we're you know you won't um, um, like where you won't conserve what you don't know. You won't whatever what you don't love. I don't know the quote. I'm sorry, but. Um, but either way, and outreach is so important for that. And like, well, like uh, Anthony, I know Anthony is doing uh, an outreach talk soon. Um, what was that talk again? I thank you, Jordan. What a great, what a great transition. I appreciate you. Um, so on, uh, I had a glance at the paper on July twenty second. These flyers that they made up. They called me the Turtle Man, which I. I hate that name, but um, apparently for them, I'm the Turtle Man, and I'll do a talk. And it's it's a, it's for a huge chain of pet stores here in Connecticut. Uh, they're calling it Turtle Mania. It has two titles: Turtle Mania and Turtle Palooza, of course, because they couldn't settle on one. So uh, that's that's what's happening there. And I think it's just a great opportunity to reach a different a, di a different demographic than we do a lot of times. Um, I think the pet store crowd is one that likes to come into the pet store and ask questions and that maybe doesn't find the internet right away. And we still get that crowd on Facebook because Facebook is full of a lot of people that just likes to ask questions first maybe and, and research second. And not there's anything wrong with that. We all started in that same place. But, um, you know, it's, it's just uh, an opportunity to get out there, try to meet some new people, spread the word about what's going on, let them know about things like the Turtle Room and obviously the TSA and the TTPG and the Turtle Conservancy and, and just try to um, connect people uh, to resources, but then also just to share some basic knowledge, because I think so many people, uh, so many people, uh, kind of miss the important points when it comes to turtles. Things that uh, we see is just like basic knowledge that we, you know, have known for a while, but that the general public doesn't know, um, and things that maybe are affecting things like conservation or uh, the natural world around us, like the invasive red ear slider um, and things like that. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. It's a different venue. I spoke recently at a AP, um, AP environmental science course at a local high school. Uh, I spoke um, recently for a uh, community uh, mental health program that really went very well and have spoken at herp and uh, um, reptile and amphibian and um, also turtle uh, societies as well. So. Um, it's interesting to to speak for all of the different 
uh, audiences and see how you you can't do the same presentation for everyone because they're so drastically different depending on who the audience is. But it's just important to try to be open and available to as many audiences as possible. So yeah. I'm excited about it. So if you're in the Northeast, and uh, this will be in Wallingford, Connecticut, on July 22nd at 1 p.m. Uh, a little confusing on our Facebook page about what the time was, but it says it's from 11 p.m. to 2 a.m., and I'm not doing that, like Midnight Madness, Turtles. I think you're Actually, that's a good idea. And if anybody would like to find a plane ticket so I can go see Anthony talk, please. <laughs> just wait. Just wait until I get to the TSA, whether it's this year or next year. I'm trying. You guys have to understand. I have two small kids at home. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to our viewers. You guys already know. Two small kids at home. I'm trying. I can't wait to get to the TSA conference the next time I'm there, whether it's this year or next or the one after that. I hope I don't have to go any further than that. But you get what I'm saying. So true. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just to you know, kind of wrap up that like little blurb there on you know ways to get involved, etc. Like I said, if you have some skills that you think could be useful to the TSA or the Turtle Room or somebody else, you can email Jordan at jgray at turtlesurvival.org, or you can email me at steve at theturtleroom.com. You could email both of us together if you want, because then we've got both of us kind of finding ways that we could you know, help you do things. Um, so you know, on that note, we kind of want to, you know, to the, the symposium and, uh, you know, wrap up our show today. Okay. Yeah, well, again, so the, the symposium uh, this year in Charleston, South Carolina, beautiful Charleston, um, it is from August 6th through the 9th, and uh, you can register at www.turtlesurvival.org. Um, the hotels are, uh, they are selling out quickly. Um, we do have some space left, but it, it, like I said, it's, it's rapidly disappearing. This is a very popular, uh, symposium. And again, because it's bringing together so many different minds from around the world, uh, for the, uh, goal of Colonian conservation. Um, but I, I think, you know, going back to the whole thing of the, uh, the private keeper, you know, we all, I think whether you're a conservationist or a keeper or a researcher, I think we all started probably in the same place. I'll bet when we were young, we went out into the woods and we found ourselves a turtle, or maybe we were driving down the road and we picked up a turtle off the road, or maybe even we went into a pet store and, you know, that cute little thing was staring at us through the glass and we found our first turtle. Well, um, I'll bet we, you know, we all started kind of in the, in the same, uh, same way. And so the important thing to remember is when you come to these conferences, these symposiums, you have all these people who started uh, in the same uh, in the same way, and they probably have a background very similar to yours. And kind of like we were saying before, I'll bet we even read, you know, the same books growing up you know we we read the books by Carl Ernst we read the books um, uh, by Russ Mittermeier we, we read them um, um, by Peter Pritchard or uh, or Archie Carr um, you know uh, we get to see some of our heroes I mean truly our heroes growing up the people who are inspired us to be in this field at these symposiums so 
Uh, yeah, it's my last thing. I really look forward to seeing people there. Um, if you want to get involved in the Turtle Survival Alliance outside of the symposium, uh, please get a TSA membership. Uh, the TSA memberships help go directly towards both in situ, so uh, uh, range, our range country programs and exu situ uh, conservation, like at the Turtle Survival Center. Um, Steve, anything else you want to add in there? Um, you know, I, I I think we you know we've covered it, and I, we know it's a little late to get to this year's conference, possibly, but. Keep your sights set on on when the next one is. Um, it, they're always in early August, um, so within the next uh, you know within the next six months, next year's will be announced. We're hoping sooner, I think. Um, but just kind of keep your eyes on it. It's it's a great opportunity to get out. Um, even by, by being there, you're helping show your support to the people that are doing a lot of the work. And I think people get really excited when the private keepers uh, come out because it shows that you're invested in helping make sure the conference can happen by, you know, buying a ticket to show up, which enables all these people to, you know, work together and collaborate in person. And it's also a great chance for you to learn and for them to even learn from you. Because like we said before, lots of opportunities for great conversation for both researcher and, and private keeper to learn from each other. Um, we'll, uh, Jordan and I will be uh, in South Carolina for uh, those several days. Uh, and there's a really cool field trip to the Turtle Survival Center uh, for me that many people are attending as well before the, the conference gets started. Right. And, and actually... Spots are uh, they're almost full for that, so that's something if you, if you still think you can make it to the symposium, we do have a field trip on Sunday, August 6th, to the Turtle Survival Center, and I think we have a couple spots left, so try to get in there quick. Um, and so that is going to be an awesome way to see some of these rare species that you may have never seen in person before. Uh, speaking of seeing something, uh, I don't. You guys didn't uh, say anything about my diamondback terrapin painting in the background here. Um, if you notice, right about there, there's a diamondback terrapin in that wave uh, after it got swept out from the North Carolina coast, and it's on its way to Bermuda. Um, I don't believe you. So, uh, it's a wonderful painting. Uh, when the artist told me that that's what that was, I. With the, when I saw that speck of black in the wave and they told me what it was, I bought it on the spot. <laughs> Your drowned diamondback terrapin. That's that's unfortunate. On its way to Bermuda. It showed up to Bermuda bloated and lifeless. I'm sorry. Hey, we don't know how those terrapins got out to Bermuda. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I just before we wrap up, I just want to thank uh, Winding Trails, which is the amazing campground that gave 600 kids an opportunity to care about a turtle at least for 10 minutes the other day. And also uh, Chris Luganbuehl, who um, created the Luganbuehl Foundation, which saves leatherback sea turtles and also works with National Geographic to do the Critter Camp Project, which is the project that we were working on um, at Winding Trails the other day. Um, so I, I just wanted to, to say thank you to them because uh, their work is tremendous. It was awesome just to be there and be a part of it. And uh, I, I didn't mention that before when I spoke about it. And I also want to thank Jordan. Jordan, man, you are one of the most talented and awesome guys I've ever met in my entire life. Oh, not saying something sweet. because you're I know sweeter than, you're sweeter than the words uh, from Amanda. <laughs> Isn't she sweet too? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know Steve Ender. So for me to say that about you means that you must be pretty awesome. 
So I, I just, I really, really, yeah, I'm really awesome. grateful that you came yeah. on here, but I'm also really grateful just from like a selfish reason. And again, uh, failure to get out of our comfort, comfort zone because we invite someone on who we really love and, and enjoy talking with. But um, I'm so excited that you're with the TSA. And I know the TSA is really excited um, and the entire, you know, turtle and tortoise uh, world as far as the enthusiasts and the turtles and tortoises themselves ought to be pretty excited. <laughs> well, I appreciate about that. It. It's a great thing. It really is a great thing. And uh, I said from the moment I met you that it's only a matter of time before you have your own animal planet special like Jeff Corwin or something like that. So um, I don't know if you'll get there, but I hey, think you should. I think you should. After these last couple uh, things I've done with Animal Planet, you never know. So never everybody know. out there, Right to Animal Planet and say Jordan needs his own turtle show. <laughs> and he needs Anthony to be a sidekick. Yeah. It'd be like Robin Big, but with animals and with turtles. Oh, oh my gosh. It'd be beautiful. Christopher Big Black Boy can As may, we go through the rest in peace. Of India and Anthony just knocks down the trees in front of us with his bare arms. <laughs> It'd be like Running Wild with Bear Grylls when Shaq was on the episode. Yes. Exactly. As right. long as it's not like naked and afraid. Right. Yeah. Well, I'd be I'd be afraid if I was naked with Shaq, but that's for a different conversation. That's for a different podcast. Whoops. All right, friends. There can never be too many podcasts. All right, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. It sounds like episode thirty-seven has naturally come to an end. There. Um, You're welcome. Talking about Shaq on Naked and Afraid should always end any podcast. <laughs> it's in our bylaws. Yeah. <laughs> well, they talked about Shaq naked and afraid. Guess we gotta wrap things up now. Shaq wouldn't be afraid. Mm. Okay, so Anthony's new nickname, everybody who's listening, the White Shaq. Oof. Oh yes. I He's can barely so happy. I can barely dunk anymore. That's not a good nickname <laughs> for me. All right. For Jordan Gray of the Turtle Survival Alliance, and we're still glad to have you. And for Anthony Pierleone, um, the guy who wrote the book on Spanglary. That's right. Um, I'm Steve Anders, and we're signing off. We'll catch you again the second Monday of September, one week after Labor Day. Have a All good right, night. Thanks for having me on, guys.